0: Hello, and welcome to Bible Threads with Dr. Bruce Becker. Say, I've been away from my podcast for the last month, but I'm back. The Bible is incredibly interconnected with threads that run through it from beginning to end. In this podcast, I will uncover these threads, help you dig deeper into God's truth, and inspire you to live your life with greater confidence and joy. Welcome to Bible Threads with me, Dr. Bruce Becker. I was on a mini-sabbatical to write another book for Time of Grace. It'll be coming out in July as our premium offer for that month. The working title is More Tough Questions, What Christians Believe. Now, just a heads up though, the title or subtitle may change in the editing process. You may recall that in 2021, Time of Grace published a book by Dr. Paul Kalman titled, Tough Questions, Reasoned Answers. That book was so well received, we decided to offer a second book dealing with more tough questions. So this book that I wrote will dig into 14 questions Questions that were on the minds of two of my colleagues at Time of Grace before they became professing Christians. The questions all begin with, do Christians believe? Okay, let's get back to our series entitled, By the Numbers. So far, we've looked at the numbers 1, 3, 4, 7, 10, 12, and 40. In today's episode, we want to explore the multiples of two of these numbers, the number 12 and the number 10. In our last episode, we explored the number 40, which is also a multiple number. It's four, the number of God's perfect creation, times 10, the number of perfection and obedience. Since the number 40 is so prominent in the Bible, I thought it deserved its own episode. If you recall from the episode on the number 12, it is the number for the Church, capital C Church, Christ Church. There are two multiples of the number 12 in the Bible that we want to examine. The number 24, two times 12, and the number 144,000, 12 times 12 times 10 times 10 times 10. The number 24 appears four times in the book of Revelation, with each occurrence referencing the 24 elders sitting on 24 thrones that encircle the throne of the Lamb. All four are part of a vision that Jesus allowed the Apostle John to see. Each time the 24 elders are mentioned, they respond in a song of praise and glory to the Lamb. The first time they are mentioned is in chapter 4. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I heard first speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads these 24 elders are dressed in white symbolic of the robes of righteousness they receive because of Jesus life death and resurrection they're also wearing crowns symbolizing their royal authority so who are the 24 elders Well, we know who 12 of them are because Jesus told us. On one occasion prior to Holy Week, Jesus told his disciples, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So 12 of the 24 elders are the 12 apostles. Okay, so who are the other 12 elders? Well, Jesus gives us a clue when he references the 12 tribes of Israel. The other 12 elders are the 12 patriarchs from whom the 12 tribes of Israel came into being, God's Old Testament people. So the 24 elders represent God's Old Testament and New Testament church. Now, There's another reference in the Bible that mentions the number 24. It has no symbolic significance like the 24 elders do. Why it's even mentioned is beyond me, but it is part of God's word. Anyway, the context for this unique number 24 occurs during the time of King David. David was leading his army against the perennial pesky Philistines. It's a battle that took place at Gath, a city under Philistine rule. You can read about it in first Chronicles chapter 20 with just one verse dedicated to the account of this battle. Here it is. In still another battle which took place at Gath. There was a huge man with six fingers on each hand and six toes on each foot. 24 in all. He also was descended from Rapha when he taunted Israel. Jonathan, son of Shimeah, David's brother, killed him. All we have here is an unnamed Philistine giant of a man, just like Goliath, who happened to have 12 fingers and 12 toes. No symbolic significance whatsoever, just an interesting detail. It might make for a good Bible trivia question, though. The other multiple of 12 that we want to consider is the number 144,000, the number for the church, 12, multiplied by 12, and then multiplied several times over by 10, the number of completeness. This number shows up in two different places in the book of Revelation. Again, it's part of a vision that John saw, meaning it is symbolic of something else. The first time it occurs is in chapter 7. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. To put one seal on something indicates ownership. For the cattle ranchers listening to this podcast, it's like when you brand your cattle. The brand or seal indicates ownership. It's Jesus' way of saying, all of you who have been sealed, you are mine. You belong to me. And that's a beautiful picture, isn't it? The Apostle Peter put it a similar way to the people to whom he was writing. He said that we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. The second occurrence of the number 144,000 uses different imagery. This is found in Revelation 14 and is part of the fourth of the seven visions that Jesus allowed John to see. Then I looked, and there before me was the Lamb, standing on Mount Zion. By the way, Mount Zion is another name for the heavenly Jerusalem, the eternal dwelling place of God. And with him, 144,000 who had his name and his Father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a sound from heaven like the roar of rushing waters and like a loud peal of thunder. The sound I heard was like that of harpists playing their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. No one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth. In this vision, the people belonging to God have Jesus' name and God's name written on their foreheads. This suggests to me that we have a tattoo on our forehead, symbolizing that we belong to God. We are his. So the 144,000 represents the sum total of all believers who have been redeemed by Jesus, and they are pictured as living in heaven before God's throne, together with the four living creatures and the 24 elders. The other number, a multiple of the number 10 that we want to consider today, is the number 1,000. The word thousand occurs 21 times in the Bible, mostly identifying numbers of people, soldiers, or animals. There is, however, one use of the word thousand that we want to spend some time on, and it's controversial. It's found in Revelation chapter 20. I mentioned before that I just finished writing my next book, More Tough Questions. Well, one of the questions is, do Christians believe that Jesus will rule on this earth for a thousand years? Some people who call themselves Christians will answer this question, yes. Other people who call themselves Christians will answer this question, no. So we need to dig into what the Bible has to say about it. Before we do, however, we should understand what is meant with this idea of Jesus ruling on this earth for a thousand years. There are two words, one from Latin and one from Greek, that describe this concept of a thousand-year reign of Christ on the earth. Millennium and Kiliasm. Millennium means one thousand years, and Kiliasm simply means one thousand the sainted Bible scholar Lyle Lang explained these two terms. Both terms refer to the belief held by some that there will be a thousand year period during which there will be a time of great peace and prosperity on earth. Millennialists, those who believe in the thousand year reign of Christ are divided into two principal schools. Premillennialists believe that Jesus will return and set in motion a millennial age. Post-millennialists believe that he will return at the end of the thousand years. Before he returns, they say, the church will transform society. War, poverty, crime, and disease will be eradicated. The church will enjoy unparalleled success. Christ will then come at the end of the millennium, raise the dead, and preside at the final judgment. Those who believe in the millennium cite Revelation chapter 20 as the source for Jesus ruling on this earth for 1,000 years. The 1,000 years for them is taken literally. The majority of Christians, however, take the 1,000 years to be symbolic, as do I. But before we go any further, I have a request. For those of you who take the 1,000 years to be literal, please at least hear me out As to why I believe the number is symbolic thank you the main reason I don't believe Jesus is going to rule on this earth for a thousand years in the end times is because that idea stands in sharp contrast to what Jesus and other Bible writers said about the end times Jesus painted a picture of what the end times will be like Matthew Mark and Luke all record what he said And it's not a pretty picture. This is from Mark's gospel. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James and John and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen and what will be the sign that they are all about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time if anyone says to you look here is the messiah or look there he is do not believe it for false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive if possible even the elect so be on your guard i have told you everything ahead of time but in those days following that distress the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Jesus painted a picture of the end times that includes false messiahs, false teachers, wars, nations rising up against other nations, natural disasters, and celestial disruptions. During those difficult days, Jesus will return in power and glory. He will gather his elect from the ends of the earth. Then the heavens and the earth will pass away. Jesus doesn't say anything about a time of peace or reigning on this earth when he comes again. The Apostle John recorded what Jesus said he will do when he returns on the last day. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I shall lose none of those he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. For my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life, and I will raise them up at the last day. When Jesus comes again, he will raise all the dead. The believers will rise to live. The unbelievers will rise to be condemned. In addition to Jesus raising the dead, Jesus said that on that day he will judge all people. the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. When Jesus returns in his glory on the last day, the unbelievers will go away to eternal punishment and believers to eternal life. There were also two Old Testament believers, Enoch and Daniel, who described the last day in a similar way. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about them. See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convict all of them of all the ungodly acts they have committed in their ungodliness and of all the defiant words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. And then in a vision that Daniel saw, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress, such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. There's nothing in the Old Testament and nothing in the four biographical sketches of Jesus life and ministry that speak to Jesus, literally ruling on this earth for a thousand years. The apostle Peter also wrote at length about Jesus second coming. He said, above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters, also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells." Peter emphasized that during the end times there would be scoffers questioning if Jesus was really coming back. Peter urged patience, because the Lord is taking his time, not wanting anyone to perish. Peter did indicate that the last day will indeed come, and the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, both the heavens and the earth will be destroyed by fire and replaced with a new heaven and a new earth. Peter also doesn't mention anything about Jesus literally ruling on this earth for a thousand years. So what is Revelation chapter 20 all about? Chapter 20 begins with a new vision, the seventh and final vision in the book of Revelation. The previous vision ended with the events on the day of judgment and Jesus' victory over Satan and everything evil. This seventh vision now goes back in time to, be to the beginning of the New Testament age. Listen to the words of Revelation 20, verses 1 to 6. And I saw an angel coming down out of heaven having the key to the abyss and holding in his hand a great chain. He seized the dragon, that ancient serpent, who is the devil or Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. He threw him into the abyss and locked and sealed it over him to keep him from deceiving the nations any more, until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be set free for a short time. I saw thrones on which were seated those who had been given authority to judge, and I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony about Jesus and because of the word of God. I also saw those that had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. Since this is a vision from God, we need to recognize that it is filled with symbolic language. We also need to be consistent in reading it as symbolic language. The chapter begins with an angel coming down out of heaven with a key to the abyss. Well, who is this angel? In chapter 1 of Revelation, Jesus told the apostle John, I hold the keys of death and Hades. The angel is Jesus. In his hand, he held a great chain. The chain symbolized Jesus' power over Satan in keeping him on a leash. It's not a literal chain made out of steel or titanium. And how could a metal chain hold Satan anyway, since he is a spirit? Jesus seized the dragon, which is Satan, and threw him into the abyss and locked him up. There's no mention of a physical door on the abyss, and no actual lock, and no literal key. The language in this vision, like all the other visions in Revelation, is symbolic. Next, we read that Jesus threw Satan into the abyss and bound him for a thousand years, to keep him from deceiving the nations. Now, if we are consistent in our reading of this vision, we can't suddenly switch from the symbolic understanding of the previous verses, and all of Revelation for that matter, and now say that the thousand years are to be taken literally? To take the thousand years literally in verse two violates the way Jesus is speaking to the apostle John in this vision. The thousand years has to be symbolic of a long period of time. So, if the language of the vision doesn't allow us to think of it as literal years, what are the thousand years? The thousand years begin with the binding of Satan, and that's key, and ends with a short period of time when Satan will be set free, that's in the future. So when did the binding of Satan occur? Well, the apostle John addressed this both in his gospel and his first letter. During Holy Week, Jesus announced that the prince of this world now stands condemned. In the following days, Jesus, with his death and resurrection, would totally defeat Satan. In his first letter, John summed up Jesus' work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. That happened on Good Friday and sealed on Easter Sunday. The Apostle Paul also reiterated this point when he wrote about how Jesus canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The binding of Satan occurred with Jesus' victory over Satan. The thousand years is the New Testament age, Right now, Satan's on a leash that is restraining his power and his attacks upon Christ's church. With Satan bound by Jesus, John also sees those sitting on thrones of judgment. He also sees the souls of those who were beheaded because they were followers of Jesus. This picture reinforces the truth that believers continue to live after they experience the physical death of their bodies. These were souls who had not worshipped the beast, namely Satan, during their lifetime. The Bible tells us that we come into this world physically alive, but spiritually dead. Recall Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. Jesus told him that we need a new birth from above, from the Spirit. This is what the Apostle Paul also said in his letter to the Christians living in Colossae. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your heart, or flesh, rather, God made you alive with Christ. The Holy Spirit gives us new life through the gospel. These souls in heaven came to life and reigned with Christ a thousand years. This is the first resurrection. Now, the Greek word for the phrase came to life simply means to live. These souls in heaven lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. So when did they start living with Christ? For people who are born spiritually dead, they start living with Christ when the Holy Spirit gifts them with faith in Jesus. That's the first resurrection. Rising from spiritual death to spiritual and eternal life. Those who share in the first resurrection are certainly blessed. They start enjoying life eternal life the second death which is eternal death has no power over them the thousand years for the saints is the same as the time frame for satan being chained it is the new testament age but a day is coming when satan will be set free for a little while it will be a period of great distress for believers listen to the words of jesus At that time many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people because of the increase of wickedness the love of most will grow cold but he who stands firm to the end will be saved a few verses later jesus put into perspective satan's little while if those days had not been cut short no one would survive but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. Again, Jesus says nothing about reigning on this earth in a golden age for a thousand years, just the opposite. Revelation chapter 20 and the thousand years are probably the most contested section of scripture among Christians today. There are Bible scholars on each side. So I encourage you to read and study it further On your own. Thanks for listening, and God bless.